Hey there, and welcome to Small Business Chronicles, the coaching edition. Uh, I'm the guest host, Neil DiPentino from DiPentino and Associates. I've been in sales now, and sales and marketing, I should say, now for four decades and a marketing consultant, a fractional CMO for the past 14 years. And I've helped a multitude of clients build their business and achieve their goals. But you know what? Enough about me. Our guest today is Chad Betts. Chad is a business coach, a public speaker, and the author of Late Bloomers, It's Not Too Late to Succeed, and the second mouse gets the cheese from Milford, uh, Milford Connecticut. Uh, welcome, Chad. Thanks, Neil. Great to be here. Man, it's great to have you today. How's things going for you? How's things up you know, in Connecticut? A little humid, but other than that, it's fantastic. Oh, dude, we're like here in Tennessee. We don't even talk about humidity down here. <laughs> <laughs> Went to a wedding in Colorado one time, and it was like about 80 degrees, and people were saying, like, it was outside. People were saying, like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it wouldn't be so bad if it was so humid. It was like 30%, something like that. And we're like, just laughing. You're going to be out of your mind. <laughs> so, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. You are a well-accomplished uh, uh, author as well as a business person. And there's so many things that we could talk to. I check, uh, talk about. I checked your LinkedIn uh, uh, and just kind of looked at your bio and everything. And the thing that kind of caught my eye and got my interest the most is these books that you've written. Okay. And uh, you've got one that you just wrote called The Second Mouse Gets the Cheese, mm -hmm. which is an interesting title. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's based on the joke, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. So it has two meanings for me. The first is that if you don't succeed early in life, there's still a chance. You don't have to be that first mouse. But the other part is, is that life throws traps at you. So you really need to know how to avoid the traps. And I've identified three traps I find that people get themselves into. What are those three steps, those three traps? So the first trap is the mediocrity trap. So we're doing okay. I don't really have to do anything. I'm not doing badly. It's okay. So you get stuck in that middle. You never really achieve your goals, but you're not failing. You're just in the middle and kind of in that mediocrity area. Uh, the second is the isolation trap. When we hit obstacles, we feel, oh, this is just me. I, I can't, I have to do it myself. You know, it's, uh, I'm a strong, independent person. But life is a team sport. And we really need to have a mastermind group around us to help support us and we support them. Uh, that's how we all grow. And the third is the artificial life trap. And this is a relatively recent phenomenon, especially online. We can get wrapped up in these, these ongoing video games, uh, in Wordle, where we just we get this instant gratification of success. Uh, and it kind of draws us in and we spend lots of time on it. But it's not real success. It's just little blips. And we could find that in some of our other activities, too, uh, where we get into this easy accomplishment phase rather than uh, going out to that cold, hard world and achieving the goals we really want to achieve. Well, you know, everything that's worth having is you got to work for. There's no mm -hmm. ifs or buts about that. And I, you know, I can see what you're saying as far as the mediocre, uh, mediocrity thing, because I can, I can, I kind of sit back and rest on my laurels from time to time and think everything's really kind of cool. And I've done that in the past. Um, there was a time when I had, uh, golly, I lost 80% of my business in one day. And, uh, and it was all because that I was like really comfortable where I was at. Mm -hmm. The other clients that I had, the other 20%, they seemed to be, you know, kind of on, uh, cruise control. And I was like shocked when I lost the 80% of my business and nothing that I did, but, um, you know, it, it, it was just because they, 
uh, moved on and to do something different, you know, in, in their business and everything. So uh, you see that and it, that happening to a lot of people where they just get kind of comfortable and then next thing you know, it's panic city. I think it's most people. Uh, people get, you know, as entrepreneurs, we we have to, you know, dial for our dinner, you know, but people who have a traditional job can really get comfortable in that job, not necessarily learn new skills, you know, keep floating along, not being up to date with what's happening in the industry, and then all of a sudden, economy turns, poof, after 20 years, they're out of a job, they have no idea what to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that is pervasive, uh, that idea that I'm okay. Uh, and, you know, to your point, even as, you know, higher achievers or as entrepreneurs, you know, uh, you know the, I guess the a good example would be uh, with working out. You're supposed to have a rest day. You know, so you work out three days in a row, then you take a rest for your body to catch up. The problem comes when you have a rest week, a rest month, a rest year, and you get flabby again. Mm. So I, I think that's kind of what a lot of people fall into, that, that rest period, uh, that things are okay rather than going and, you know, pushing themselves. Right. So, yeah, I'm thinking of myself as you're saying that. It's like I need to probably start working out a little bit more. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I got to get to I the think gym. I'm getting that flabby I stage. I missed it again. It's five years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the whole idea of like being isolated. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, are you working with a lot of business owners? Is that who your primary client would be? It's a mixture, believe it or not. So it's business owners and executives that just started their executive path. So there are a lot of people who are working on their own, but even the executives and companies, because of COVID and a lot of people are still working from home, uh, there's that isolation where you don't have that interaction. You're not you know, you know, learning by osmosis and you could feel that you're by yourself. Uh, and this, you know, the camera is great. I mean, it's better than a phone call. You know, I could see you, you could see me, but it's not in person and it's still different and it can feel isolating. I, I, yeah, absolutely. And especially too, uh, for me personally, I've owned my own business now for several years, for the last 14 years. And really, um, you know, there's an old saying, you don't complain down, you complain up. And, and so I don't really have anybody to complain up to. It's me. It kind of stops right there. So uh, I do feel isolated from time to time. And then, so how do you overcome something like that? That's where uh, we go old school. So old school, Napoleon Hill, think and grow rich, having a mastermind group, having a people around you of peers and mentors uh, who you could talk to. Uh, they're trusted advisors. You know, they know your business or at least know how to operate in a business. Uh, you trust them uh, to give you honest, fair feedback. Uh, and you talk to them about it. And then when they have issues, they talk to you. That's, you know, setting that up and it's hard. I mean, there's, you know, people don't necessarily understand the value of that mastermind. So you, you have to really recruit to get people in it. But as soon as you have that, and you have that group of trusted advisors, uh, you could really, you know, you could vent, you could get advice, and you can really, you know, get to where you need to be. Right. Sounds like you have a trusted advisor in the background there. I know. I know. That's <laughs> what happens when you have the window open. I get it. No problem at all. No problem at all. So in, in trying to find a, a group of trusted advisors, mm-hmm. um, you know, I found that I found certain people that I, you know, I work very well with, uh, Cash Miller with Titan uh, Digital is one that we've been working together now uh, uh, as a client of his uh, and, and, and working side by side on certain projects for 
Kelly for almost 11, 12 years, mm -hmm. you know, but then there's those other trust people that you would think would be trusted advisors that, you know, uh, really have kind of their own ulterior motive. Mm -hmm. So it's really difficult to get them to actually give you the real skinny and they don't want to hurt your feelings too. It's like, Oh yeah, this is great. So you go on, you move on to something. And next thing you know, you're losing your butt because you took the wrong direction. How do you avoid stuff like that? It really is building those relationships and having the trust in the person, knowing where they're coming from. You know, goes, I really learned the lesson on my first book, you know, Late Bloomer. Uh, what I did was I sent it out to my group of trusted advisors uh, for review. And kind of what you said, it was the same pattern. You had some people who didn't want to hurt my feelings. It was my baby. Uh, so they, uh, they, you know, oh, it's great. And, but that's not what I needed. Then you had the people out there who said, ah, you know, it's, uh, it, it's not really worth writing the book. I mean, it's just, it's not that great. I don't see it. And it just wasn't valid, you know, or specific enough criticism. So I wasn't useful, but there was a couple in there that, you know, really dug in and told me what was wrong with the book. And that's what I needed. You know, it's, it's funny though, when you ask for criticism, you want it. When you mm -hmm. get it, not so much, but right. it was, <laughs> it's something I needed to hear uh, right. because I knew the person and she was very successful. She knew what she was talking about and her criticism was specific. I was able to actually use it and improve the book. Awesome. So yeah, I've been in a situation kind of very similar where, you know, people, um, you know, people, don't want to hurt your feelings because mm -hmm. they know you put a lot of time and energy and effort and your heart and soul into, you know, doing a book like, like what you've done in the past and some of the stuff that we've done. And so they want to hurt your feelings. So I have to tell people when I'm asking for a real critique, it's like, look at act like you don't know me. Act right. like this is the first time you've ever seen me. You ever talked to me and everything and give me a real honest critique because if you give me a, if you just love me all the time, I could make the wrong decision. I could go in the exactly. wrong direction. So very cool. So I want to talk a little bit about, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Sure. We're talking about your books and I want to talk about, you know, first of all, what made you decide that you wanted to write a book? Number one. And number two, what is the process involved in, 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 in writing a book? Sure. Actually, I actually started out writing a novel. Uh, and I was talking to people about it and I heard, oh, I could never do that. Uh, then I started hearing other patterns, you know, about like my workout. Oh, I'm too old to do the workout that you do, but the person's younger than me. And I found that I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm too fat. I'm too that. You know, it's all these things. I found that people give up on themselves, you know, too soon. And that's where late bloomer came into being, where I just started jotting down notes on, you know, late, late bloomer and the things I've been hearing. Uh, and then those notes became an outline. Those out, that outline became a first draft. The first draft became a manuscript and all of a sudden there's a book. Uh, so I mean, will go into the specifics on from how uh, a bill becomes a law, but that's generally how uh, it came about. So, that's interesting. Like uh, during the pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of downtime, I decided that I was going to put down in pen and paper. Uh, okay. Actually a computer, uh, <laughs> all the things that, you know, some of the experiences that I've had, things that I could share with other people. And so I started putting notes together. And what I found was that I ended up with just a pile of notes. Mm -hmm. So how do you take those notes and put them into something uh, in some kind of an order or some kind of structure that you're able to actually get a book out of it. 
So what I did was I put together an outline, you know, of, <clears throat> of what I expected the book to be, you know, chapter by chapter. From there, I took my notes and I fit them in to those of the, where I thought that they might fit well in those chapters. Once I had that, I dedicated myself to write every day. So I'm a morning person. So first thing in the morning, put up my computer, have my coffee in hand, and I would be there for at least 15 minutes. So if nothing came in my head, I'd be there for 15 minutes, you know, then go on with my day. But that usually didn't happen. Typically, things would start flowing. You know, and I'd end up writing for a half hour, 40 minutes, an hour, sometimes two and a half hours, and I'm rushing to get to, uh, uh, to, get to clients. But, you know, it's, it, it comes. So find the time of the day that is best for you and commit to writing. And do not edit. That is the trap. When you say, oh, this is misspelled. Oh, this is wrong. Oh, I got to add a comma. It becomes a circular trap where it is always editing. Do complete stream of consciousness for your first draft and know that at the end, it's going to be bad and that's okay. You know, I've heard that before because when you start editing while you're writing, you kind of lose your train of thought. And the next thing you know, you forget the next step in the process or the next step, next thing you want to write about. So I think that's really good advice. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the question I would have is why? Why did you write a book? I originally wrote it uh, when I was writing it. I uh, actually I have a coach too. I think uh, coaching is very important. I have uh, several coaches, you know, for different disciplines. But my executive coach and I were talking, you know, and I wanted to write the book as many authors do because you want to be an author. You want to get out there. You want to be known, uh, and that's great, but it's unlikely, especially with your first book and if people don't know your name, you're not going to be a bestseller. So why are you writing the book? Uh, it could be uh, that you want to leave something for your family and friends. It could be uh, that you want to have something for your company, uh, meaning you know, a history for your employees or a, a piece of marketing material that you can hand out to clients. You know, for me, I did it a little different path. I wanted to increase my brand um, as a coach and an advisor. So I used the book uh, to do that. So through social media, uh, through book events, through giving the book to key people, I was able to use that to boost my brand uh, and, you know, get to where I wanted to go. How has that worked out for you? It's been, it's been successful. You know, so, you know, I, the first book I wrote, basically broken even, made a few dollars, but on the book itself, but with the other parts of it. Uh, the speaking engagements, uh, the assignments, uh, the other things, I've actually increased my income. So that's where the success comes in, that it's, you know, content you can share and it's credibility. You know, if you write a book on a subject, all of a sudden you're an expert. People see a book uh, as something substantial. And it doesn't have to be war and peace. You could write a 75-page book you know, and have it be out there. I know a lot of people have done that. Mine, uh, my two books are, you know, 200 to 250 pages. My next one's only going to be about 150 pages. But it's, it doesn't have to be this gigantic tome. 
In fact, I probably recommend against it because people get intimidated by big books. Mm -hmm. But if you have a, a small readable book, you know, from, you know, 75 to 250 pages, you know, that is something that can really boost your brand uh, amongst your clients and uh, your followers. That's interesting. I, so basically what you were looking to do, uh, if I understand what you were saying, is uh, that you're actually looking to boost your brand by boosting your credibility. The book gave you the ability to do that and led to other opportunities. And that's really where the revenue sources or the revenue opportunities came from. Exactly. Right. You know, the book is not the true source of the revenue. It's uh, uh, this, the ancillary activities that stem from the book. Okay. So now you're, you've written the book um, mm -hmm. and um, uh, you know, you're happy with it and you're ready to publish. Now, did, did you publish this in, in, in print or is this uh, an ebook? Uh, both. Both. Okay. Both versions. So now you have everything together. Now you got to let people know about it. How did you market this book? Uh, it's you know, through social media primarily. Uh, and then also I had book ambassadors. So upon when I was releasing the book, I identified uh, 30 people who I wanted to help me. And I asked them to reach out to an additional 30 people. So it got spread out that way. And also asked them to share it with their networks. So, you know, from hundreds to thousands of people hearing about my book. I uh, also did a little bit of advertising on Amazon. Uh, and I went out and I did book events uh, at bookstores, libraries, you know, volunteer organizations and other places uh, to let people know about the book. Okay, so... Uh, let's use uh, the mouse gets the cheese as an example. So I saw mm -hmm. that you also have a, is it a, a weekly blog, if I'm not mistaken, that yes. centers around uh, around the subject. Uh, and then that is uh, the subject that you speak about when you or speak of when you are doing speaking engagements. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So, um, so if I wanted to write a book today, and I wanted to use this to increase my business and get more clients. Would you see this as being the, a really great lead generator for you, for, for me? I would. I would. And it's it, the hardest part is the writing piece. So as soon as you have it written, uh, there are so many places you can get the book edited and designed. Uh, I used Fiverr.com and Upwork.com to find vendors uh, to edit the book and then to uh, get the book into a format that would fit paperback and ebook. Uh, so it was all done. It wasn't very expensive. Uh, I had uh, my first, uh, the uh, cover for the second mouse, I used a Vistaprint product called 99designs, where I hosted a contest for designers to design my uh, cover. And then I posted that online, you know, the finalists, and had people, you know, vote on which one they thought was best. And that generated interest as well. You know, and that's, you know, getting it out there and generating interest. Uh, so it's it really, you know, marketing. Once the book's written, you know, you're responsible for the marketing and you can do as much or as little as you desire. Yeah, I'm going to switch gears with you just a little bit. I really love what you're saying there. So uh, there's a lot that went into the whole process of writing the book and then mm -hmm. obviously marketing it and all the other things that you do, public speaking, um, you know, so on and so forth. I, I, on your LinkedIn uh, page or profile, uh, you state that uh, you are good at juggling a lot of different things. And it's one mm -hmm. of the things that you help people with. How did you juggle all this? Because it sounds like a lot to me. It's funny. It's uh, again, it's advice from my coach. So I have a uh, coach, Don Wetmore. Uh, he uh, has the Productivity Institute. 
Uh, he runs a class on productivity and uh, he's written several books on it. And you know, as my executive coach, he keep me, keeps me on track. Uh, and he taught me techniques to, you know, keep going and, you know, getting more done in the day. You know, you, you've probably seen the videos where uh, they fill a jar with rocks and ask, is it full? Someone says yes. And they throw in gravel, ask it again, then sand and ask it again. And then finally add water. You know, so it's doing the important things first, uh, then filling in the rest. So it's like it's um, I kind of take uh, think of it as weekend chores. So you have to clean the garage, do your laundry, mow the lawn and uh, put on the dishes. If you start the garage first and it takes all day, you get nothing else done. But if you put the laundry on, then you put the dishwasher in the dishwasher, yell over to the neighbor kid and say, hey, mow my lawn. And, and then, then you do your garage. All of a sudden you have clean dishes, clean clothes, a, a mowed lawn and a clean garage rather than just having a clean garage. I hate all those things. I got to tell you. Right. I like to delegate it all. <laughs> that's important too. Delegation. You know, it's okay. you don't have to do everything. Uh, you know, my dress shirts. I have not ironed a shirt in 30 years. I sent it to the dry cleaner. They charged me two dollars and fifty cents, and it's the best money I spent because it'll probably take me a half hour to do it. So why am I going to pay myself five dollars an hour to iron shirts when I could be doing something that makes me much, much more? That's interesting. We were actually had another uh, interview uh, not too long ago. We had this conversation about DIY and how a lot of us think that uh, not, not only think that we can do it better than everybody else, but we think we have to do it. Uh, it might be right. a money saving type thing. And, you know, and, and, you know, a five dollar shirt is one thing. But I was talking to a guy uh, who did some work on my house and he was telling me he was gone for a couple of days. And where are you at? And he's like, uh, uh, well, my transmission went on my truck. I had to fix it. Like, well, why don't you take it someplace and have it fixed? <laughs> You know, it's like, how much money did you lose not being on the job? Exactly. You know, people don't so think of it that way. They don't. They don't. Back to the writing thing. Um, one, I think this is kind of an important question moving forward, especially in this day and age. Um, chat GPT. Is it a cheat or is it a, a useful tool? In school, it's a cheat. Once you graduate, there is no cheating. It's okay to copy off the other guy's paper. You know, why are you going to reinvent the wheel? Uh, the challenge with ChatGPT, well, there's two challenges with ChatGPT. One is wrong sometimes. So you have to really make sure that you check the work. Uh, you know, but two, in order to get the right answer, you have to ask the right questions. So being able to formulate the questions to get the answer you need is a skill in itself. Right. Uh, so I look at it as an intern. You know, so you assign an intern uh, something. They have no business experience. They just got out of school. So they have a lot of knowledge, but no experience. You have to be very specific on what you want, and then you have to check their work. Uh, so it can get you 70 to 80% there, but then you can spend your time on that last 20 to 30% to make it perfect. So you get more bang for your buck. You get the, the first draft done and then you finish it to your standards. So I like it. And uh, a friend of mine says, you know, chat GPT is not going to eliminate jobs, but uh, it's going to eliminate, how do you put it? Yeah, but it's going to eliminate jobs for people who don't use chat GPT. So it's not, your job's not going to be taken away by it, but right. it might be taken away by someone who uses it. Right. Right. I like your answer. I, so I use chat GPT. I just started using it a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I like about it is that, you know, the thoughts are mine. 
I mean, I'm the one that's entering the information in and ask, I'm not asking it to like do all the work for me. But I do know that uh, uh, what my capabilities are. I know that, you know, my grammar is, or as we say here in Tennessee, it ain't so good. <laughs> but so it does help me with that. And, and, and I like that. So if I'm trying to put together a letter or I'm trying to put together an email or something like that to somebody, I kind of run it by there. I don't always use it uh, when I send out the email or whatever, but I just want to kind of run it by and see kind of what it might look like. And, and frankly, it's worked pretty well for me in terms of uh, making me sound a lot smarter and better and, uh, that, than I really am. So. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a tool for that. Yeah. That's, you know, it's like writing an introduction uh, for a speech for yourself. Sometimes it sounds great in your head, uh, but when you, for the person saying it, they can trip over their tongue. Right. Putting it through uh, chat GPT and asking it to make it more readable, you know, or speakable, if you will, uh, that helps clean it up. And there's other tools too, like Grammarly, which I use all the time because again, I don't want to spend the time searching through, you know, especially on big projects where, you know, you're writing a lot you know, to spend all that time. Uh, and, and plus, when you're doing it, you're going to miss things anyway. On my first book, I went through, I edited it several times, had other people edit it. Um, I bought Grammarly, ran it through. 1,200 errors. Hey. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> so even though I looked at it and several people looked at it, there were still a lot of errors. So having that, you know, technical expert, at your fingertips on your computer is, is a big advantage. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fantastic. So if I want to get my hands or any of our listeners want to get their hands on the second mouse gets the cheese or your first book, late bloomers, how do we go about doing that? Best way to do it is go on Amazon. You can look up my name, Chad Seabets, and both books will come up and you can take a peek. Fantastic. Well, Chad, I appreciate you being on uh, the show today. Uh, been a, a great interviewee. I really appreciate that. Um, so if we want to get in contact with you personally, how do we go about doing that? Probably the best bet is through my website, ccbadvisoryllc.com. Fantastic. Well, again, Chad, thank you very much. Really appreciate you being here. And that's all for our show today. Our guest has been Chad Betts, Chad C. Betts. And uh, I want to thank you for joining Small Business Chronicles, the coaching edition. I'm Neil DiPatino. And until next time, so long. <laughs>